Hey guys, welcome to Maple Crest Church. This is a place where, together, we'll be diving into topics like who Jesus is, what he wants for us, and how to live it out in today's world. We hope it serves you well in your journey and gives you life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your family. Okay, let's get into the message. Well, today we're going to be continuing our millennial, or we're going to be talking about uh, continuing our series in Revelations. Uh, we've been doing this for uh, a while now, talking about Revelations, and our primary objective in studying Revelations is and has been to understand God's character. We, we study other books of the Bible, other events in the Bible, to understand who God is and what he does and how that works. And we do the same for the book of Revelation. We often don't study the book of Revelation because it can be confusing for people and it can seem like there's a lot of controversy around it, but we can learn so much because God's character is displayed in a more dramatic way in the book of Revelation, I believe. Uh, obviously, it's very dramatic in other places than the Bible too, but even more so in the book of Revelation. I think there's so much to learn there. And today, uh, last couple of sermons, we were talking about uh, about heaven and New Jerusalem in particular. And we've had some questions about that, kind of like, where does New Jerusalem fit? So I'm going to be trying to put New Jerusalem in context and uh, continuing to talk about it from that Revelation's perspective and God's character. And today, one of the things that I'm going to be highlighting is that God stays the same. God's uh, character, God's uh, personality is constant, uh, but he loves change. And so that's kind of a, an interesting thing that we often don't think about is that even though God is stable and doesn't change, he seems to love change. And uh, that part of his personality continues on. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes, that you would give us insight into your plans for us going forward into the into plans for the ending of this age and the beginning of the next age, Lord, that we would be encouraged as we think about heaven and as we think about your plans for us and as we understand you more. I remember somebody said, if you don't think rightly about heaven, then you won't think about heaven at all. I thought that was pretty good. I think this is where most of us are. If you don't think about heaven correctly, uh, then you don't think about heaven. And uh, there's a few reasons for that. When I talk to people about how they feel about heaven, they often don't have very positive feelings. When I talk to like new believers, they often have very positive feelings about heaven. They're like, wow, I get to go to heaven. And they're really excited about it. And they're filled with joy. And, and children can often be very excited about heaven as they think about these glorious things. And, and parents will often fill it with candy and things like this. And so we kind of feel really good about heaven. And then all of a sudden, at some point, believers stop thinking about heaven. And when you ask them about it, they kind of get a concerned look on their face where they're like, it sounds good. And they almost have to have like, I have faith that it's going to be good. Uh, but I don't understand how it's going to be good because it sounds boring. It sounds like it's going to be monotonous and, and, uh, and there's this negative quality to our thoughts about heaven. And so we almost don't think about it. We just think about, well, God's going to help me now or other thoughts about how we deal with our lives. But we don't really think about heaven in, uh, in a way that supports us or helps us. And honestly, the way that you think about the future affects how you behave now. It affects how you live now. How you view your future changes what you do now. If I believe certain things about my future, I'm going to, if I have hope in certain things, if I have no hope in other things, I am going to be changing how I behave in reference to all of those things I'm thinking about the future. And that's the same for heaven. So we, God's given us, he's talked about heaven. Why has he talked about it? He's given us these insights into what heaven looks like in order to help us, in order, order to help us now and, and change our lives. Some people might say, well, that's in the future and that we don't have to worry about that because that'll take care of itself. I believe that it's actually important for human uh, functioning, for our ability to function in our world or our ability to, to cope with the stresses God has given us 
this to us to help us to understand him and his character. And so I do think this is an important uh, reality for us to understand in order to live rightly and to be in righteousness. So like I said, the most common thought that I hear from adults who have been Christians for any period of time is that it's going to be boring. It's going to be something that is kind of monotonous. We don't like to say it. We don't like to say it out loud. We don't like to think it, really. We try to avoid thinking about it because it sounds and feels so incorrect and sacrilegious to think about that. But, you know, you kind of think about yourself and you're in a worship meeting and and even the best worship meetings after a few hours, it's like, well, you know, it's like, boy, this, this is getting to be uh, kind of monotonous. And so we're just like, apply that to heaven in billions of years. And, and uh, you, know, you just think of yourself and you can't even talk to your friends. You're just kind of floating by them maybe. And you're like, hey, worthy is the Lord. You know, and you're like, hey, yeah, worthy, worthy. And it's like, okay, another billion years. Hey there, you know, worthy. And I want to make fun of it because it's real. Like we, we're going to enjoy worship. But me just telling you we're going to enjoy worship may not be enough to, to take away that feeling that this is going to be boring. And yes, there's a central theme in heaven about, about it being about the worthiness of the lamb. Those are big things, but there's more to it. There's more to heaven than a worship meeting. And the presence of God is something that we can't understand. And, and even though it might feel monotonous, I do believe that the presence of God will never be boring. And we have to have faith in that for sure. But there's other things going on. There's other things that are going to be happening in heaven. Now, we know that God is going to stay, God does, has, does, and will stay the same. Hebrews 13.8. Now, this is all over the Bible. I just took an example here. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So again, this is, not, this is not a big revelation from the Bible. It didn't take a lot of thought to get here because this is a very commonly used reference about God. He is everlasting. He stays the same. He's stable. We can trust him. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though God is in, in charge and powerful, and even though our world is changing, um, it's difficult, well, guess what I would put it this way, it's difficult to kind of put a God that doesn't change together with a world that does. Like when I think about a God that doesn't change, I think about stillness. I think about things being perfected and then kept constant. Um, and that's often how I think about my life. If I can just get to a certain point, I can stop working. Like if I just get to a certain place and I get everything perfect, I will be able to rest and to be still. And once I just have to get things right, and then I'll be done. And I think we apply that to God where it's like, well, he is perfect and he's stable and he knows who he is. Like sometimes we're, I'm like, well, I don't know who I am. So I have to keep on working at figuring myself out. But God knows who he is and he has all this power. So he just has to make it perfect. And then heaven will be the same. And maybe earth, and then, and then it's like, well, why is earth changing all the time? Why is earth uh, constantly moving? Because God is stable, so that doesn't really make sense. So then oftentimes, and again, these are thoughts, I'm not saying that you're thinking these out loud or that you're processing this in a way that's like, this is my theology, but I think these are thoughts that people have underneath that kind of are the foundations of how they get to this idea of how heaven and God and earth work. And I think one of them is everything's a mistake. God created things perfectly, and then there was a mistake somewhere. Something went wrong. And then because there was a mistake, God is doing changes on the earth in order to correct it. And most of the change is actually coming from the devil. And God is kind of making corrections to that. And that is helping. And then once it's all corrected, once we get to the end of the book, it's all going to be perfect. And when it's perfect, 
we won't have to change anything anymore. Change will stop because it's all set up and God doesn't change. So once he gets everything finally the way he wants it, once he kind of corrects for our mistakes and the devil's interference, once he gets all of that finished, then we'll be done and things will be stable and he'll have it all lined up just the way he likes it and boom, we're done. It's kind of like a house renovation. It's like, well, we're just working at it and then once it's done, it's done. And then if you think that way, that the, the change is a mistake that needs to be gotten rid of and that things are stable, that's where you get to this idea that heaven won't change. And that's when you get to this idea that heaven is boring. So what is boredom? Boredom, there's a number of things that contribute to boredom. One is too little stimulation, too little novelty. Another is that it's too easy. Another is that it, you don't have enough autonomy. Research on boredom has shown that if you don't have choice, if things aren't challenging, if nothing's new, these are things that create this actual pretty strong feeling of suffering. Now we kind of think of boredom as maybe not a, a central like disorder in people's lives, but this can be a very painful thing for people. And it can lead to a feeling of being trapped. Some people have even suggested that boredom didn't exist 200 years ago, 300 years ago that people in those times were too hungry and too, working too hard to get bored. That boredom is a new reality because of the luxuries that we've had. Uh, that the luxury that we've experienced and the lack of challenge that sometimes people have creates boredom. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that boredom's always been there. I don't know if I believe that some people are more bored than others. Um, and, but I think it's interesting to think that privilege and luxury eventually create boredom. And, boredom, and I've seen that. I've seen uh, clients who come in, I'm a psychologist, I see clients who come in and they're wealthy, they've made it and they've uh, created businesses that take care of themselves, that they've they created the business, it was successful, then they created a team that took care of the business and that was successful. And then all of a sudden, the team is doing a better job than they could do. And so when they go into work, they're actually a hindrance. And maybe they have to sign a few things every once in a while, but they just sign what people tell them to sign. And they're better off at home because their team is great and their team kind of propels itself. They, when people quit or whatever, the team hires new people for those positions. They're not even necessary in order to keep the team going anymore. The team is, is self-sufficient. And then they struggle with other issues. They struggle with boredom. They often don't call it boredom, but sometimes they actually even use that word. They're just bored. They have nothing going on anymore. So it comes from this kind of luxury. It comes from this reaching of goals they've actually solved all of their problems and they become and they become bored now if we look at this if we look at those traits of boredom and what it takes to create boredom and then we look at heaven they actually line up in heaven we have luxury everything's given to us in heaven we don't have any, any challenges, at least that's how we feel. We don't have this challenge because, I mean, we're superhuman and we have a God who just gives us what we need. And in the beginning, it's wonderful. Oh, finally, like, don't have to work for my food. Everything is amazing. And he just takes care of us and he tells us what to do. And there's no novelty. Now there's novelty in heaven, but how long does that last? I mean, no matter how big you make heaven, eventually you're going to explore all of it. I mean, you have billions and trillions of years to explore this place. Eventually there will be no more novelty. So you have no challenge. You eventually have no novelty. 
eventually becomes boring. And it's like, okay, I can see it. I can see heaven being wonderful, but how long before it's not wonderful anymore? People have even created pictures of hell where they just give you everything that you want and it becomes a hell because there's nothing to do. It's like, fine, we'll give you everything that you desire and but we're going to stretch it out over eternity. Those, that's some fictional authors. Those are perspectives on hell. Those are hells that people have written about. So God doesn't change, right? He stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what Hebrews 13.8 says and other places in the Bible. And he doesn't change, so that means that he must be monotonous. That's kind of this connection that I think people make. But let me ask you this. Is life boring now? Now, for some people, I've said it is boring. They've, they've used up all of their challenges. But for most of us, life is not boring now. God gives us challenges. I would suggest that people who are living in the will of God, people who understand God's character. Now, I think that there are some exceptions to this. God can give us seasons of rest and we're not used to that. And we have to adjust and we can have periods of boredom and things like that in the comings and goings of being in the kingdom as we regulate ourselves, for sure. But generally speaking, God has given us enormous challenges. And if you have hope and engage in those challenges, you are not bored. There is lots to do. In fact, some of these challenges seem insurmountable to reach everybody in the world, to translate the Bible into all these languages, to disciple nations. These are huge challenges that God has given us. To engage with him in a way that we can exercise his power and, and be stewards of his, of his power and authority on the earth. These are huge challenges to, to walk in righteousness. These are not boring things and they're challenging to figure out how to do that and to engage in a life that's continually following after God is not boring. We can go into despair, we can go into hopelessness, we can walk away, we can have trouble with rest. We can, yes, there are lots of these challenges, but if you actually are walking in the way that God has designed you to walk with hope in him, with faith, and taking on his mission, it's not boring. And his spirit is not boring. He's full of surprises. How many people have talked about God coming through in the last minute? He leaves us in the stressful moment. We have to have faith in him. He creates tension for us. If you're living in the prophetic, if you're trying to hear from God and you're trying to live your life, you'll know about this tension where you're like, oh, like, oh, it's coming, but it's not here yet. And I have to have faith. I experience that every week as I think about the church and where we're going and what we're doing. And it's like, oh, Lord, you've given us these promises. We want to see them fulfilled. Help us to be faithful as we expect great things from God. And he's come through for me so many times. Why do I still have trouble? But there's this tension and it's invigorating. It's challenging and can cause emotional challenges at times, but it's also invigorating and it's certainly not boring. So life isn't boring now. So it's interesting to think that eventually it will be. If you look at the past, God is constantly changing things. Now you might say, well, People are changing things, and that's true. The world is undergoing tremendous amounts of change. I sometimes like to think about what the world is going through and the, and the amazing changes that we're going through in technology, and it's just speeding up, and it's amazing. But you could say, well, that doesn't necessarily something that God wants. Maybe that's because of the fall and people's misguided efforts to seek things that aren't God. Maybe. Maybe he's just allowing it. But even if you take all of that away, God, away, God changes things himself. He does it. 
He made us. He didn't have to make us. He took a, he took a world and he created it and he created people. He created so much more than he needed to. He created so much space and he created these stars and these worlds and these, he created so many plants and organisms. He just created all of these things in this kind of so, so generous and abundant manner. Like he could have done this in such a simpler way, but he chose to create this magnificence, this abundance. And then he enjoyed it. First of all, he said it was good. And then he created people and he said that was very good. And then throughout the Bible, it talks about how he delights in his people. Psalm 149, 4 says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. He takes pleasure. If you want to talk about how God enjoys himself, how he actually, how to give the Lord pleasure, it's us. He takes joy in his creation. He creates and then he enjoys it. I don't know if, if you could call it fulfillment. It's so hard to apply words to God because you don't want to kind of mislead. But he seems to take pleasure at least. Maybe it's even fulfilling for him. I'm not sure how that exactly works for God. But, but part of God's character is, is rewarded. There's, there's a payback for him. Some kind of payback for him from his creation. So if he's shown himself, so just think about this. If he's shown himself to take pleasure in his creation, and he says, and he's created, even when he didn't need to, not just to correct things, but he's just created when he didn't need to. And he takes pleasure in his creation. And he says he's never going to change. He says that his character is the same and will be the same. Then why would we say that he will stop creating? Why would we say that he'll change himself? He won't change himself. He will keep creating. I mean, that's, that's where I put those together. I mean, I don't know. God never said, I am going to keep creating for eternity. He never said that. But when I put those together, when I say he's been making things when he didn't need to, he seems to keep kind of doing that as we go. And then why would we say he'll stop? I see no need to say he'll stop. In fact, he gives us a pretty big hint that his creation, his creation story will continue. In Revelation 20, verse 4 to 6, this is the main passage that I wanted to look at today. So there's quite a build up to it, but this is the main passage in Revelation. Again, we're studying Revelation. This is, a, this is the introduction. This is the, you know, one of the most uh, detailed descriptions uh, of the millennial kingdom. Revelation 20, verse 4 to 6. Then I saw, I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's, it's a little bit uh, to read, but that's okay. Uh, I think I really want to just give you a context of, of what this sounds like. Revelation 20, verse, actually, I'm going to read all the way down to 10, I think. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. So these martyrs were there too. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. So the mark of the beast, these people had not taken it. They came to life. They came to life and reigned. They ruled and reigned. They were in authority with Christ for a thousand years. 
The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So there was a first resurrection. This oh, it says, this is the first resurrection, this first part. There's some people who come to life first and reign for the thousand years. Then it says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. It's a good thing to be in that first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years have, are ended, it's even talking about after this, as the story continues, Satan will be released from his prison. Isn't that interesting? Just like that's something to meditate on right there for a long period of time. Satan will be released from his prison. God's going to release him. Very similar to what Jesus did, or God did in the Garden of Eden. This, this serpent doesn't need to be there, but he's released. And the serpent, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. So the serpent's going to gather the people. Their numbers is like the sand of the sea. There's going to be a lot of people on the earth. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. So these are the saints that, that are there on the earth. And the beloved city, which is probably Jerusalem, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So these people are gathered by, by the devil and brought to the city and then fire comes down and consumes them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there's this whole age that's coming. And you might say to yourself, Cyrus, why are you talking about the millennial kingdom when you're supposed to be talking about heaven? Well, how do you define heaven? If you say that heaven must be a place with clouds and must be a place with harps, then yes, I didn't describe heaven. But I define heaven as what I'm going to do after I'm resurrected. I'm going to, I define heaven by my afterlife. This is my afterlife. I mean, I hope I'm part of the first resurrection. Wouldn't that be amazing? And it doesn't sound like I'm sitting on a cloud. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a place of no tension. It's going to be, it sounds like there's going to be kind of almost a replay of what happened on the earth through all these ages with the devil being released, with there's going to be discipleship. It's going to be different, 100%. We're going to have more direct communication. There's going to be people who have been resurrected reigning over this. There's going to be a, a lesser veil between the authorities of heaven and the authorities of earth. But there's a veil now. There's, there's, a, there's a veil, but there's still a connection now. It's just going to be a lesser connection. It's going to be maybe more like it was in the, you know, when Moses was was seeing God and, with, uh, and was glowing. It's going to be this kind of more presence. The presence is going to increase. But even still, people are going to walk away from God when the devil tempts them. And they're going to be like the sands. Of the, lots of them are going to walk away from God. Isn't that incredible? Anyway, there's this incredible storyline of people walking away from God, just like they did in the desert. Even when they saw Moses' face glowing, they walked away. And it's going to happen again. And God is again going to have this big battle. It doesn't sound like heaven. And so we don't classify it as heaven because heaven must be a certain thing. It must be a place that's boring. It must be a place where there's no tension. It must be a place where there's no conflict. Everything's taken care of and it's still. But God's telling us after in the next age, when heaven starts, after you die, this is your first assignment. Not everybody's going to get it. Like there's all these intricacies to it. Not everybody gets to participate in it. Some people get to, some people don't. 
it sounds a lot like what happened on earth where there's people getting different assignments. There's tension with the devil. There's, there's this drama that plays out and God has done this again and again in different forms. He does it in the garden of Eden. He does it in the old Testament. He does it through Moses and he does it through the prophets. He does it through Jesus. He does his whole storyline of Jesus and his interaction. And then he's going to do it through the book of Revelation, these final judgments. And then he's going to do it again through the thousand years. And my question to you is, why would he stop? Why would he stop after that thousand years and say, okay, now we're done. We figured it all out. I think we got to figure it out after, after our age ends. Why do we have to have another thousand years? Why doesn't he just create heaven now? God seems to create this tension. He creates this ability to create love, which requires choice. He creates these dramas so that he can have people who engage in love with him in different ways. I would suggest that there are probably stories that have gone along with the angels that we haven't been told. Where are these angels? You know, the creatures that are around the throne that worship him day and night covered with eyes. Where did these creatures come from? What is their story? Did they just get poof created in front? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they have a whole storyline with them as well. So this millennial kingdom, this thousand years, it's going to be a place where there's natural processes. There's going to be people who are there, who are living. They're going to live a longer time. We can, we're actually probably going to dive deeper into these points, but there's a natural process. People are living, people are dying. They're going to live longer, but they will die. They will be consumed by fire, but the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. There's going to be spiritual processes. We're going to be acting as priests or the people who are in the first resurrection are going to be acting as priests. There's spiritual processes. They're going to be trying to teach them about spiritual things. It's going to be more obvious, but it's still going to be there. God is going to give work to you. They're going to reign with him. They're not just priests. They're also kings. There's, there's a reigning and ruling element. They're going to be telling them what to do. They're going to be giving out directions. They're going to be discipling these nations and what to do. So let's look at those characteristics of boredom. Luxury. Will we have everything given to us? No. We're going to have lots of problems to deal with. He says his kingdom will be ever increasing. It's going to expand around the world during this millennial kingdom. Nations are going to be coming to him in order to learn more about this discipleship. We're going to be teaching people. We're going to be priests. We're going to be having to give authority. That means that there's going to be a time when people aren't obeying. If we are reigning, we are going to be growing things. We are going to be developing people. How do I, how do I know that? Because people are going to walk away. We're going to have to teach people. Will there be novelty? Of course there's going to be novelty. We're going to, it's just in the, in the storyline. There's going to be this enormous conflict in the end. Now, one thing that you might think of about heaven and a feeling that I have more sympathy for, I have sympathy for all the feelings, but a feeling that, that I could, if you're starting to really look at heaven, I think in a more correct way, that is, it might make you a little tired. And this is just the first thousand years. What happens in the next thousand years after that? What challenges, what tension is God going to be coming up with then? And then you might start to have this feeling of, oh my goodness, we're going to have an eternity of challenges. We're going to have an eternity of God's adventuring with us. And then you might be like, oh, I'm a little tired. That's like a little overwhelming. Billions and trillions of years of adventures with God. Oh, I'm tired already. How am I going to endure all of this? 
I have a little bit more sympathy for that because I think that's actually more accurate about like a more accurate picture of what heaven is going to be like. And I think that's why he only told us the first thousand years. Because I think if he start, kept on writing and writing and writing of all the adventures that God is going to take us on, all the different things that he's going to delight in as he creates, because he likes to delight in his creations. If we, think, if we just keep talking about all these creations that he's going to continue to create, probably, I don't know, he hasn't told me, but I know that he's going to create more during the millennial kingdom. In your afterlife, potentially, if you're part of that first resurrection, he's going to keep creating. I think it would be a little overwhelming if he wrote about age after age after age. So I think he only gives us the first thousand years rather than the first 100,000. But you also have to remember that God isn't just about adventures. He's also the God who invented the Sabbath. He's about rest too. He knows how you function. He knows that, that we're built to, to adventure with him. And he also knows how to give us rest. And he will give us the strength to go on this adventure with him. If you're feeling tired, if you feel like COVID has taken a lot out of you, if you feel like you're failing, sometimes people can feel like my life was a waste. My life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And then they can go into a place where they're like, this is the only life I have. And that's true. We are appointed to die once. This is the only life you have. But if you believe that there's more to life than what's on the earth right now, that you are going to have continual adventures. It's not just one exam and then you write the exam and then you're done. And it's that's what you get for the rest of eternity. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe that we're going to be going on this adventure, that there's going to be challenges. They're going to be different. I do believe that some of the things that we do on earth here will be resounding through heaven for eternity because we've survived this certain challenge. But I also believe that God is going to create new things for us. He's going to keep creating challenges, just like in this millennial kingdom. Those people who are resurrected, who are, uh, are part of that first resurrection, they're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. And those things that they do during that time are going to be part of their relationship with God. So don't limit your thinking to this life. If you didn't get what you wanted in this life and it's like, oh God, you didn't give me what I wanted. I could have done so much more if only you had given me this opportunity. Don't limit your scope of your relationship with God to this life. This is just the beginning of you developing your story with God. I had this picture as I was, as I was thinking about where we are now in comparison to where we are and where we're going. So God talks about rebirth. He talks about, you know, baptism and being born of the spirit. I think that's really interesting because, you know, we're born and we're born into sin and we have this rebirth and we're born in the spirit and we need to do that. But then we're still in the flesh. We're still like on earth and we're still doing these earthly things and we're still messing up. And it's different, but it can sometimes feel like it's not that different. I believe that the baptism, that the, the baptism, that I think, I feel like I was shown this, I'm still kind of exploring it in my mind, that this, just in so many ways, like so many things in the Old Testament are foreshadowing of things in the New Testament. It makes me wonder whether this birth, this, this baptism that we have, 
is real. Like, don't get me wrong, it's real. And the things that happened in the Old Testament were real. But they were also a foreshadowing. I wonder whether our baptism, whether our rebirth in the spirit is actually a foreshadowing of our death and resurrection, of our getting our new bodies and living in a more spiritual life. We are starting that process now. We're kind of there and not yet there. And there will come a time when we will really die and will really be resurrected, which means that this life is basically us in the womb. You might think, well, this is it. This is the one life we live. And when we, we finish it, and then we end it, and then we are given our rewards, we have to stay in our homes, and we have to just kind of live with it. I think it's probably more accurate to say that we're in a womb, and that when we die, we're actually going to be born. And we're foreshadowing that as we try to live in the spirit now, as we kind of seek God in the spirit, and we look beyond this world, and what it has to offer. And what we're, going to, what we're doing now in this kind of prophetic way, we are going to be doing in fullness when we die. We're going to be actually walking with the spirit. We're actually, we do now. I don't want to minimize what's happening now, but I do want to say that there's a greater level. There's a greater fulfillment of that when we actually are walking with Christ, when we're actually living with him in, in fullness, let's say. So this life is just the beginning of a great adventure. So treat it that way. Don't be afraid. You're just getting started. So today we were talking about how God is stable. He has a stable presence. He's got a stable personality. He doesn't change. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't change his creation. In fact, God seems to love change. And he takes joy in his creation. And if he's never changing, he's probably going to continue to do that for the rest of eternity. Because that's who he is. He loves to change. He loves to create. He's a creator. And earth doesn't just go through changes. So does heaven. Heaven changes. Isn't that funny? Heaven changes. People don't think about that. Heaven is going to be different. How do I know it's going to be different? Well, for one, you're going to go. And so then it'll be different. It'll have different people in it in the future. That's, a, that's probably the most basic way to say it. It's going to change. We're going to have more people there. And that's going to change the dynamics. Have you ever been in a room or in a building and then there's more people? It changes. There's going to be a different feeling when we have more people there. But there's going to be bigger changes, and it describes that. It describes New Jerusalem coming out of heaven, of God's presence coming down to the earth. God's presence is where heaven is. God's presence, where is our afterlife? You have to think about it that way. Where are we going to be living? Where are we going to be doing? And it's going to be on earth. Earth and heaven are coming together, and it's going to change. So if you think about where your, your family is that who have passed on already, where, these, where the saints are of old, they are in heaven, but their heaven is changing. And it will change as more people come and as the future unfolds, God tells us how heaven is going to be different, how the earth will be remade and his presence will move and where we will be in that. He loves change and he changes earth and he's going to change heaven. And God wants us to know that he's going to continue to change things because he's given us a picture of the next thousand years after this age is over. He says, I'm going to continue doing stuff. I can't tell you at all because it would be too long. And it might be a little overwhelming for you, but I can tell you, I'm going to give you a taste, a little taste of the next thousand years after this age is over. You won't be bored. I could just hear him saying it like, I'm a God who loves change. Don't feel like you're just going to be sitting on a cloud with a harp. Don't feel that way. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to give you a taste. The next thousand years, this is going to be what's going to happen. 
and I believe he will continue to be himself. He's saying to us, I'm a God who creates. And it's so exciting to join him in that journey. Father, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you for teaching us about who you are, who you really are, not just who we make up in our minds, but you are a God who creates. You are a God who tells us that you're going to continue to create. You tell us that you created things right from the beginning. And you tell us that you're never going to change. Lord, encourage our spirits. Encourage us to know that this world is just the beginning. Help us to have hope that as we live our lives, that as we make mistakes and as we as we bump up against the limitations that this world gives us, that you know about all of these things, all of the limitations that we have in our frame, in our circumstances. And you take all of that into account as you think about us and that you are going to continue. Lord, help us to see that hope that we are, I don't want to put it as a second chance, but you are going to continue to grow with us. Yeah. We are going to continue to grow with you for eternity. We're going to continue to face those challenges. So, Father, I pray for everyone that you would have, you would deposit hope in everyone's hearts today that this is just the beginning and that we would think about heaven as we think about it more accurately, that we would think about, oh, Lord, what adventure are you going to take me on? What is Cyrus's adventure? What's Maplecrest's adventure in the future? Each one of you has your own adventure, your next adventure. You already have one now, and you're going to have another one, specially designed for you. So, Father, give us insights into what you have so that we can live in hope. And we can not just live in this world, not just live here, but have hope, and we will live differently. We will live without fear. Father, take away that anxiety. Lord, you are going to take care of everything. Amen.